Hi, I'm Courtney Brown at Emory University. Welcome to my class in science fiction and politics. There's been some changes in the music world, in the world of pop music, especially with the recent emergence of a up-and-coming star, Janelle Monet, that we're going to talk about today. Now, Janelle Monet is a very interesting person because she has a fixation on androids. She is a science fiction pop artist. There's not too many of them. She's not the first to be a science fiction pop artist. Um, actually, let's talk about some of the past science fiction pop artists. Uh, who's married to Iman? Iman is the famous model. Somali ethnicity, but she came from Kenya originally. You see her on a TV channel. She has her own show and channel where she sells various things. She was before Naomi Campbell. She was like the first. She's still gorgeous, but she's um, not doing modeling anymore except for her own line of goods. Uh, Iman, let's see. Let's go to... You don't even know who Iman is? I don't know who she is. I don't know who she's I don't married know who she's to. Married to. Oh, you don't, oh, oh, does everyone know who she is? Yeah, you don't even know who she is. This is the thing about generations. They change. Remember when I told you I can predict the future? That all professors that are currently professors are going to retire and die and you will replace them? Generations called generations. All I needed to do to do that was to know about generations. Okay, let's go to images. And let's look up Iman. She goes by only one name. There she is. Iman. She goes by one name. She was originally, uh, went to Nairobi University and then she was discovered. She was the first big black model in America. Uh, she was before Naomi Campbell. And, um, I think she has a very interesting history of how she was sold uh, by the publicity people that got her to be exotic. They used to uh, basically say that she was this primitive Amazonian type African woman, very exotic. In reality, she spoke five languages. She came from the university. I mean, she the whole bunch of stuff. But nonetheless, it was an interesting story uh, that they had. And uh, she was very exotic back in those days. Well, she's married to... David Bowie. Who said it? David Bowie. Yes, you got it. He's married to David Bowie, who is what we really want to talk about. He's married to David Bowie. Now, David Bowie had a persona in the old days that came out of science fiction. And in fact, he had... Uh, that He transformed that persona into some of the... in one of the characters he played in, in a movie. So he's not the first, uh, you know... Um, Janelle Monet is not the first pop artist to have sort of a science fiction persona to develop, but she is currently the latest and the greatest for having a science fiction persona. She was heavily influenced in her early life by Metropolis, the Fritz Lang movie, and, and a variety of other science fiction stuff. Anyway, androids are on her mind. Now, she is... Um, 
was sort of discovered in a big way by Sean Combs, otherwise known as Puff Daddy, otherwise known as B. Diddy. But Sean Combs was the one who really made the big discovery of her. And the interesting thing about it is she's not really talking about African-American issues, although she's African-American. She's talking about androids all the time. So a lot of people who are in the African-American community that talk with her, they look at her like, what planet are you from? <laughs> it's like, what is this thing about Metropolis all the time and Fritz Lang and androids? Well, she actually, like all science fiction, is making social commentaries and the androids stand for something that's in the social commentaries. She's actually talking about people when she's talking about androids, not just about robots. Okay, And something that's fundamental that you get in her interviews that you, if you read like on Wired uh, and Wired magazine interviews of her, you'll see that she's really talking about individuality. Individuality is the key to understanding her. And fundamentally, she has this drive to prove that individuals will win, that there's a conforming power that surrounds us, that tries to get us to conform. And in the most blatant manifestation of conformity is an android. You see, what happens with androids is they're manufactured people. They're robots that are manufactured with sentient capabilities, able to think, and they're manufactured to think the way the manufacturers want them to think. Do you get the idea? And so in our society, we have a situation in which people are manufactured. You are born, and then immediately you get put into a processing unit, a school. Actually, you get put into a family unit, and you're told how to behave. And then you're told how to behave in school. And then, just like today, I collected all of your papers, and I'm going to be telling you how to write. I'm going to be telling you how to do this and how to do that. And Janelle Monet says this produces a huge level of society. You can see that this is actually very connected to what we were talking about with regard to the foundation. A huge level of society that is oriented towards producing conformity among all people. They don't like the loose, the loose wheel. They don't like the rattle and the roll. I mean, if you think back to the old days of the Beatles, the Beatles, when they first came from Britain to the United States, you have no idea how much consternation that caused. In terms of long hair, well, their hair was definitely longer than mine, but in terms of long hair, it was not at all long. It was just sort of coming down and sort of shaved like the bowl was over the top of their head, you know, sort of cut, sort of, it just sort of had a, just came down, but it didn't like cover their ears or anything. It wasn't really long, it was just sort of, and they called it long hair because it was just sort of coming down rather than being combed off to the side. You have no idea what what actually happened. And it was a huge daring thing for Ed Sullivan to be so bold as to put those guys on his TV show. Do you get the idea? Talk about conformity. Conformity. Conformity is huge. So if you think that was weird for the Beatles, and then you say, but that doesn't affect us. I mean, that was just old ancient history. That's the problem. You see, the best slaves, the happiest slaves are the ones who think they are free. <laughs> and that's what the whole issue is. That's what the issue is with Isaac Asimov. That's the issue also with Janelle Monet. 
And that's related to the issue that we're going to cover with it in he, she, and it. Who this it is in Marge Percy's book. Fascinating book. Spectacular read. Very profound. But in this case, we're going to start with Janelle Monet's stuff and sort of see how we are the androids. We talk about androids as being artificial intelligence. And really, to understand Janelle Monet, you have to understand Metropolis, but also you have to understand things like Philip K. Dick and the movie Blade Runner, things like that. But the understanding of an android is not to think that that android is a machine that really can't think, that's just imitating things. What they're talking about is humans. Now, what we're going to first do is, in the very first day of class, I had you look at tightrope. But now you had Isaac Asimov's uh, foundation trilogy to read. And so what we're going to do today is listen to Janelle Monet's thing one more time, starting with tightrope. But first, we're going to look at the lyrics. So let's look at the lyrics first. So this is tightrope. All right. And let's read Janelle Monet's lyrics and see if we can actually figure out a little bit more about what's going on. Now, what we're going to do last time we did it is I actually read the lyrics. I'm going to read a little bit of the lyrics to you, and then I'm going to ask you to just read the rest silently, okay? So this is uh, Janelle Monet's Whoa, Another Day. Oh, this is Tightrope. Okay. Whoa, Another Day. I take your pain away. I want you to think about what these lyrics are all getting at it. They're actually quite profound. If you, you have to think into them. Song is not like a novel. A novel, novel sort of spells everything out in sort of plot. Song has ideas, gestalts, thoughts that are sort of thrown together. And you have to patch them together and sort of reform them in order to figure out what's going on. Some people talk about you like they know all about you. Think about that. Some people talk about you like they know all about you. That's not just a random phrase that just rhymes. There's something in what she's saying. Try to figure out what it is so you can tell me. When you get down, they doubt you. What does that mean? And when you tip in on the scene, yeah, they talking about it. Because they can't tip all on the scene with you. Talk about it. Talk about it. When you get elevated, they love it or they hate it. You dance up on them haters. Keep getting funky on the scene while they jumping around you. They trying to take all your dreams, but you can't allow it. Let's talk about this now. What is she saying? You can close that a little bit. Almost to the point where it latches, but not quite. Okay, what is she saying here? Let's start with, some people talk about you like they know all about you. What is she saying there? Well, basically, I think the passage means that when you step outside of the boundaries, people who aren't doing what you do, but just following the guidelines, they talk about you. 
because they can't do what you do. Okay, actually, you are you are right, but you you jumped the gun a little bit. You're actually talking about more of the stuff they said that's beyond that. You are talking about the first two lines, but you're also talking it about the other stuff. Yeah. So let's let's hold off just on that and say now, focus now just on the first two lines. Some people talk about you like they know all about you. Say now, what, what is what's just there? Run it right again. Nothing that you said was wrong. It just extended further yeah. than those two lines. Go ahead. Um, it's just people talking about a person uh, because they're doing something uh, that they don't understand. Well, again, you're going beyond the first two lines. That's it. Go ahead. Who wants to give it a shot? Go ahead. Go ahead. Talk loud. Remember, the mic's here. People a lot of times don't see other people as people. Like, you know that you have all of these, you know, hidden depths, and you know all of your thoughts, and you have all these different layers. But a lot of times we don't see that in other people. We think that just what we've gathered about them from the five minutes we've been talking to them is all that there is. You're actually right. Everything is there, but you've also gone beyond the first two lines. Same thing. What is she saying by the first two lines? Some people talk about you like they know all about you. Go ahead. If people assume they know everything there is to know, and they're like confident about that knowledge. Yeah, they assume that they know everything that there is to know and confident that they, about their knowledge. But what about that? What does that have to do with... Go ahead. They want you to behave the, the way they want you to be. You've also, though, gone beyond the first two lines. That's correct, but it's also beyond the first two lines. It's so easy to jump nuggets, golden nuggets. Some people talk about you like they know all about you. What about that? Doesn't that... It should upset you a little bit. Go ahead. Like, maybe it's just the idea that um, instead of like taking the extra minute to look further at somebody, that you just look at them and assume that Okay, this is kind of weird, but like you know everything that you need to know because you're assuming that they're behaving the way that they're supposed to. Well, again, you're getting into behavior, which is beyond the first two lines. See, go ahead, one more try. Just yeah, like that's pretty. Like it's just a really simple idea. That, like it's basically what you're, you're covering your mouth. It's basically what she was saying, though, is like they talk about you, like they know about you, because they just assume that you are like everyone else. Like they assume that you conform to their standards, therefore they already know what... Know There's an assumption. There is an assumption. There's a basic assumption. Like they know all about you. There's an assumption. Okay. Let's keep on going with that a little bit longer. Um, well, I guess because there's societal norms, they assume you conform to societal norms. Even okay, though now you're getting... Now you're starting to talk similarly, which is good. <laughs> That's good. There's an assumption... And that assumption is tied to the societal norms. Perfect. Very good. There's an assumption, like they know all about you. Knowing all about you is then being connected to societal norms. That means whenever anybody looks at anybody else, they're making an assumption that they know all about you. In reality, do they know anything about you? They know nothing about you. What they know is expectations and that they're assuming that that's you meaning that whenever you interact with anybody else 
the very first thing that you think you're doing is getting information about that person. Reality is, you're projecting expectations on that person. So all interactions are based not on getting, but on projecting. That the issue of what is normal is being projected from the individual outwards. So some people talk about you like they know all about you. In reality, they know nothing about you. But the essence of conformity is based on the understanding of built-in social norms or political norms or expectations that are then projected out. Without those expectations, you can get no control. Now let's go on. When you get down, they doubt you. What's that mean? When you fall below those expectations, they Okay, when you fall below the expectations, is she really talking about falling below? The word get down doesn't get mean down that. Means What's like, that. Get down is like dancing, dances yes. uh, outside of you know, what is accepted as proper. So. Now, when you're saying get down, are you talking about performing a formal ballet? No, I mean yeah. just get funky or whatever. You <laughs> but what do you do? And when you tip in on the scene, and when you get down, they doubt you. And when you tip in on the scene, they talking about. What does the concept get down convey? I feel like get down is like being original and like bringing what you have to the table. People like see you doing something that's like outside, of like what they're comfortable with. They're that's like exactly it. The concept of get down is original. Is originality. When you get down, it's really you're not thinking about what's happening out there. You're own. You're doing your own thing. And that's when they doubt you. What does doubt mean then? When someone doubts you, what does it mean? It means, go ahead. They don't believe in you, but what does that actually mean with regard to the first two lines? What does getting down mean with respect to the first two lines? Do you realize they don't know everything there's to know about you? Like, yes, that means that they don't know, but what does getting down mean with respect to they know all about you? What is the contrast here? What's the conflict? Whenever you're getting down, they doubt you. It's because you're giving them something different than the expectations that they projected onto you originally. Yes, that's it. You're giving something that's original, that's out of the expectations. Whenever you get down, you're going within. That's the whole idea of getting funky, getting down. It means you're going inside and letting some original creativity come out. And when that happens, you're not fitting the expectations that are being projected on you. So they doubt you. Oh, you're weird. You're weird. I was at a pizza parlor. Not that I eat pizza. I haven't had a pizza for 20 years. But nonetheless, I was at a pizza parlor um, with my son. And we were uh, doing what people do. I was having a glass of water, and he was consuming pizza. And we were noticing some kids over on the other side. And uh, and the guy got a piece of pizza, the kid. He was probably about 10 years old. And he got a perfectly good triangular-shaped pizza. And normally what you do is you take the triangular-shaped pizza, and the tip of the triangle goes in the mouth first. Well, that kid had no intention of doing anything. He looked at it, and he thought it was very interesting. So he, bent, he bent it a little bit, and he made sort of a bend in the center, and he took his mouth and he bit a big hole right into the center of the triangle. 
And he looked at it and he said, that looks good. And then he bent it a little bit different and he poked the hole in some other way. And then there was a lady who was sitting over on the other side who was probably waiting for her daughter or son to finish their music lesson. Just like I was. And she was, she was looking at the other person and then at the, at the kid also. And then we both looked at each other, the lady and me, and we just sort of smiled. And we just sort of, and she still looked at me and she said, why not? It's the way it probably should be done. <laughs> you know, the idea was we were recognizing that the kid was just getting down. He was doing something funky, but it was not within our expectation. Now, if it had been an adult, what would have happened? <laughs> it would have been a dead <laughs> silence in the. What's that? Completely different reaction. Oh, yeah. We would. There would have been a dead silence in the pizzeria. We would have looked to make sure the way to the door is open. Just in case the type person was nuts and crazy and going to do something wild. We wanted to be able to escape. You know. So the point is, when you get down, uh, they doubt you. Whenever you do anything that's original, and science fiction is filled with stuff like that. You only make a name in science fiction if you do something really original. Even Isaac Asimov's Foundation trilogy went through a long time before it was finally recognized to be what it is. It would be so great. So really great things and great discoveries, great things about people, often you know, people are highly doubted in the beginning. Okay, now... Yeah, they're talking about it because they can tip all the, because uh, they can, they can't tip all on the scene with you. Basically, if you're doing something original, the whole idea is if it's original, people can't copy it that easy. I mean, they just can't do it just like that. So, all right, now let's actually go down a little bit because maybe whether you're high or low, whether you're high or low, you got to tip on the tightrope, tip on the tightrope. What's this whole idea about the tightrope? What is this about? Um, oh, well, let's actually get a little bit before that. I, I covered that. I, I skipped a little bit. When you get elevated, they love it or they hate it. You dance up on them haters, keep getting funky on the scene while they jumping around you. They trying to take all your dreams, but you can't allow it. Because baby, whether you're high or low, whether you're high or low, you got to tip on the tightrope. Tip, tip, tip on the tightrope. What's this tightrope thing all about? Where did you come up with this idea of a tightrope? Um... I think of a couple things when I think of it. First, I think of a tightrope being really scary and kind of risky. Yeah. Um, and then I think about how you usually see it at a circus or some type of like crazy show where it's kind of a spectacle that you are kind of shocked to be looking at. All right. Sort of a dangerous, crazy thing. There's sort of a spectacle associated with it. Go ahead. You can do it. You're covering your mouth. Though. You know, it's a rope. It's like really narrow. So they... Such a balance on it's like a metaphor for the societal norms you're supposed to conform to. Like it's a really narrow path, and there's infinitely many other places you could step apart from that rope. So you're saying you tip on it, like you. Clearly, we have a minute. narrow path, a narrow tightrope, and something dealing with the societal norms. You have to be careful. All that's there. Good. What else? I definitely agree that it's a narrow path kind of thing, but I was thinking that it was more of a, you know, just being just creative enough or. Not going too far with it, such that it becomes something that's not entertaining anymore. At the same time, yeah, sort of not going too far. Balance. You have to have a careful balance, but also we had the idea of some danger that was originally stated. What else? Well, no. Kind of like what they said, but um, with the tightrope, you really can only go forward. There's really only one way to go. Interesting. Unless you jump off. It's hard to turn around on a tightrope. Yeah. yeah. You really only have one option, and that's kind of. I think what she's saying is that's a metaphor for society, which tells you, you know, you can only do this one thing. 
there are limitations. And then she's saying, you know, should tip on the tightrope. You should try to do something different, even though it's scary and dangerous. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, there can only be one person on a tightrope at a time. So, hmm. so everyone has their own individualized tightrope. Interesting, the concept of being a singular person always on a tightrope. Very interesting idea. So it's not a group, but it's a singular person. In fact, by definition, if it's a group, you're talking about something that's conformity already, because you're, you've conformed into becoming a group. So everyone has an individual tightrope. Um, a long time ago. Do you remember what it was? Uh, interesting. But let's get back to what was said originally. There's something scary about it, right? There's something dangerous about the tightrope. So it conveys not just a narrow path, but it also conveys a sense of danger. You got to tip on the tightrope. And what happens if you step off the path in a tightrope? And the whole idea of the circus, the spectacle? You fall. You fall. And what happens if you fall? You die. <laughs> it's not good. So it's bad. So the whole idea is you have to follow a very narrow path, and it's highly dangerous to you if you get off that path. But on the same hand, as individuals, you want to get funky. You want to get down. But people don't understand it. So what are the actual rules actually ending up doing? Just you might want to think about that. Let's go on a little bit further. Whether you're high or low, maybe whether you're high or low, you got to tip on the tightrope. Now let me see you do the tightrope, and I'm still tipping on it. See, I'm not walking on it or trying to run around it. This ain't no acrobatics. You can either follow or you lead. I'm talking about you. I'm keeping on blaming the machine. I'll keep on blaming the machine. I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it. I can't complain about it. I gotta keep my balance and keep, and just keep dancing on it. We get funky on the scene. Yeah, you know about it. Like a star on the screen. Watch me tip all on it. What is she doing? What is she talking about? She's talking about doing something you, like, I mean, on a literal level, something that you wouldn't normally do in a room. Like, generally you see people just walking across it. Cause yeah. it, it it's, it's hard. It's not easy to walk in a room. But she's talking about, um, you know, doing, not not just walking on it, but making it more interesting, kind of making it your own. Um, and... Still, Making but still being able own. to keep your balance as you do that. Okay. Making it your own. That's, you know that phrase was made famous by what? A TV show. What TV show made making it your own famous? American Idol. It, was, it never really was a huge thing until they started saying... Every single song. You made it your own. You made it. But basically they're talking about making it some original. Okay, what else is she saying about that? She's she's doing something at this point. The first 
part of the song was really diagnostic. Diagnostic with regard to society. But she's gone away from simple diagnosis of societal problems now. She's doing something else. What is she doing now? Well, it says she's dancing on the tightrope, which may, maybe means that she's she's doing her own thing, but since she's blaming the machine, she still knows she's got to stay on this one path, so she's trying to, I guess, do her own thing, but not go too far off. Yeah, within within the limitations that are available, she's she's doing something. She's doing whatever creativity can possibly be allowed within the confines. However, she's doing something else. Is she just diagnosing? You either follow or you lead. I'm talking about you. What is she doing now? Giving instructions. Hmm? Giving instructions. She's giving instructions. In a very real sense, she's turned a bit into a Bob Marley character because Bob Marley used to proselytize, used to tell about politics and lead his followers, which was all the young people that were listening to his songs, to an understanding of the world. And eventually he used to say, wake up. Now, in a sense, she's turning a little bit like that. I'm talking about you. She's no longer just diagnosing society abstractly. She's saying, now you have to either follow or you lead. And make no mistake about it. I'm talking about you. So watch me tip on it. Watch me tip on it. She's offering, she's telling you that you've got to make a choice. But at the same time, she's saying, but watch me do it. This is called leading by example. She's basically going into this scene and saying, watch me doing it. I'm tipping on it. All right, now uh, let's skip over this part here. I tip on alligators and little rattlesnakers, but I'm another flavor, something like a terminator. Ain't no equivocating. I fight for what I believe. Why are you talking about it? She's talking about it. Some calling me a sinner. Some calling me a winner. I'm calling you to dinner. And you know exactly what I mean. Yeah, I'm talking about you. You can rock or you can leave. Watch me tip without you. What's she saying here? What is this? She's like something like a Terminator. I'm talking about you. You can rock or you can leave. Watch me tip without you. Something like a Terminator. Watch that. Who was the person that said there was a little bit of uh, the Matrix in Isaac Asimov's Foundation trilogy? Somebody said that. Yeah, that's that was not. Was that? He's not here. I think he's not here. Today. Oh, okay. Oh, by the way, I start taking attendance on Tuesday. Okay, I decided Tuesday would be a good time. Well, what's this whole thing? Something like a Terminator. Well, I guess the Terminator was designed to go back in time and kill something. So maybe she's trying to destroy the established norms of her cultural media. Okay, but what is being a Terminator done? What does a Terminator do? Kills. Destroys. Kills, destroys. So, 
What does she talk? Uh, what is she talking? Go ahead. I could. I just kind of think that uh, her being outside the box destroys uh, society. How does it do that? It, it, it opens people's eyes. How? By, by actually giving the example of uh, exactly. what can be done. By being the example. <laughs> you can rock or you can leave. Watch me tip without you. Remember Neo and Morpheus and he had to actually take one pill? What were the two colors? He could take one pill or another pill? One pill you could the red and the and the what? The red or the blue? Okay. Well a terminator is the one that wakes Neo up. A terminator is when you end something, when you destroy something. A personality that thought that personality was perfectly okay. Bob Marley used to do this all the time. Wake up and live. His followers were asleep. Basically, he said the whole world was asleep. And his role was to wake them up. But when you wake somebody up, you terminate their past existence. And you can do it by an example. Here, watch me tip without you. Okay, and then she repeats a little bit thing back on a type rope. Okay. Now, now shut up. Now, put some voodoo on it. Ladies and gentlemen, the funkiest horn section in Metropolis. We call it the classy brass. Do you mind if I play the ukulele just like my little lady? Do you mind if I play the ukulele just like my little lady? The whole idea of she's actually now referencing Fritz Lang's. We don't have time to go into Fritz Lang's in Metropolis. But I hope you get at this point that when you're talking about the magic put a little voodoo on it, the idea of magically awakening one up. When someone does something creative, when something does something original, it's magical. There's something completely different about it. But it's also very dangerous. Alright, now actually let's watch it. And with this background, let's then talk about what it actually happens when you see, because her, her work can only be understood not just in terms of reading it, but also in terms of watching the performance. Her performance is fundamental to it. I have to actually pause the recording because of copyright issues. I can't have the recording of the song on this tape. So those of you who are listening to the podcast, just listen to Tightrope by Janelle Monet on YouTube and then return to the podcast. All right. All right. So that was from the Android album. Okay. What are some of the basic ideas? Actually, you can turn on the light just for a second here. Okay. <laughs> we covered a lot of the details. From the video, is there anything big you get? What's the biggest impact you get? What about the dancing itself? It's forbidden. What's that? It's forbidden. They're all like, well, I mean, it looks like they're in an insane asylum because dancing has been forbidden in the society. Because it causes people to... Okay. It went beyond what was normal. It went beyond, it was sort of in the forbidden realm. But what about it? When you were actually watching it? Did you enjoy watching it? Yeah. Did you notice the nurse at the very end? Before she called in the faceless people to lead Janelle Monet away and put her back into the room? What was she doing? She was starting to dance. <laughs> it was sort of contagious. It was happy. It was cool. So the thing about original stuff is, it's fun. It's great. 
it's cool. It's really good. So the thing about it is that it really that getting funky, getting down, has sort of an exuberance to it that's contagious. But you know, did Janelle Monet go a little bit too far? Did she survive the tightrope? Yeah. Still in her room, I guess. Uh, What's that? She's still in her room, so I guess. Uh, yeah, she, she got led back in her room. But what else happened to the other androids that were surrounding after she got led back into her room? Did they go back to being straight, just automatons? They were just like, what was happening to them? Hmm? They kept dancing, but they weren't so organized together. But in their own individual ways, they kept on twitching. She left a residual. So what is the message you're getting from this? When you act in an original way, you act in a way that is risky. There's always risk in originality. And you may be punished. But you saw the androids twitching at the end. But you leave your mark. You get the idea? You leave your mark. And although she was put in her room, confined and removed from the rest of society, she still was alive. You get the idea? She was still there. Who won? The controllers? Who probably thought they won. Or did Janelle Monet win? Let me go to China for a second. The sensors come in, they censor Google or whatever, they don't go. Who wins? The authorities that censor the Google or the Chinese who are being very creative getting around all the sensors? Who wins? What's that? You mean the people who are getting around it? They're getting around it. Well, it's got to be either the people win or the censor or the censors win. The people win because they get around it somehow. It's a never-ending chase. That's what Bill Clinton said originally when they said, the Internet's going into China, we don't have to worry about freedom anymore. <laughs> you can't control it once it's in there. It's like trying to stop leaks that are coming into your basement when there's holes all over the place. They just Water just comes in, you can't stop it. Okay. And what we're getting also from Janelle Monet is that the situation is no different any other place. The control is everywhere in all different in all different realms, okay? And that there will always be people that are trying to shake the rafters. Now, in the time that's left, I'd like you to quickly go into the next one with her. Um, let's close the current tab. And let's go to the next video, which is Many Moons. Now, with the tightrope behind us, we should be able to understand Many Moons. Okay, all right, let me let me go now to the lyrics for Many Moons. Many Moons lyrics. Okay, how about we... Many Moons lyrics. Can we turn off of the lights again? We're dancing. This is a Janelle Monet's song, Many Moons. We're dancing free, but we're stuck here underground. And everybody trying to figure their way out. All we ever wanted to say was chased, erased, and then thrown away. And day to day we live in a daze. We march all around till the sun goes down. Night children, 
Broken dreams, no sunshine, endless crimes. We long for freedom. You're free, but in your mind, your freedom's in a bind. Let's listen to that word, that phrase. You're free, but in your mind, your freedom's in a bind. What are you talking about there? Your mind is the only place you're actually free. Your mind is the only place you're actually free, and the rest of your freedom is constricted. Uh, I'm not sure she's, she's saying that. She's saying that uh, we're free as we would understand it, but our understanding of freedom is limited. Sort of. She's saying something more potent than that. It's sort of what it, but it's getting around the bush. You only think you're free. What's that? You only think you're free. Yeah, you only think you're free. You think you're free, but freedom, your freedom's in a bind. The freedom that you think is just in your mind. It's really not. You're really bound up. Oh, make it rain. Ain't a thing and the sky to fall. The silver bullets in your hand and the war is heating up. And when the truth goes bang, the shouts splatter out. Revolutionize your lives and find a way out. And when you're growing down instead of growing up, you gotta like a panther. I guess that's you gotta be like a panther. Tell me you are bold enough to reach for love. So strong for so long, all I want to do is sing my simple song. Square or round, rich or poor, at the end of day and night, all we want is more. I keep my feet on solid ground and use my wings when storms come around. You're free, but in your mind, your freedom's in a bind. Okay, let's go through this a little bit, and then let's watch the song. It's a long one. This sort of is a uh, very common technique that's used in songwriting where they list a whole bunch of things, such as cybernetic chant down. Okay. Now, civil rights, civil war, hood rat, crack whore, carefree, nightclub, closet drunk, bathtub, outcast, weirdo, stepchild, freak show, black girl, black hair, a bad hair, broad nose, cold stare, tap shoes, Broadway, tuxedo, holiday, and it goes on and on and down. HIV, breast cancer, uh, broken dream, on and on. Again, this is a cybernetic chant down. Basically, these are all possible things that happen in people's lives, often disappointing things. <coughs> okay? And when the world just treats you wrong, just come with me and I'll take you home. No need to pack a bag. Who put your life in the danger zone? And that danger zone was that cybernetic chant down. Okay? No running, dropping like a rolling stone. No need to pack a bag. You just can't stop your hurt from hanging on. The old man dies, and then a baby's born. Change your life, and when the world just treats you wrong, just come with me, and I will take you home. What are you talking about there? What is he saying in broad strokes? If you were saying, we only have a few minutes, so if you were trying to say, in summary, in just a sentence or two, what is this song about, what would you say? What's that? Okay, that you're not free, but what else? Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I was just gonna say she mentions like all the horrible things that can go on in your life that may like discourage you and like break you down, but she's saying like through all of that, you have to save yourself and hold on to your individuality and like kind of have faith in yourself. Yes, 
she's definitely saying that the individual will will reign will reign will will reign supreme in the end. She is saying that. Go ahead. I think it's to some extent just about slavery. You know, slavery maybe. Yeah. Like a theme overall of um, being controlled, trapped by all even all the stuff that she lists, stuff that's not even necessarily conscious human creations, but yeah. diseases and things. Slaves to it without ever realizing we are. Yeah. Well, clearly, that's there. That's there. Clearly, she. We're running out of time, but clearly, there's a a problem in society with a zillion things. The cybernetic chant down. She just went through sort of all types of things that go wrong in people's lives, and that's a big section of the of the song. And. To call it a cybernetic chant down, what does she mean by that? The cybernetic, why is it a cybernetic chant down? Like all those things that are listed, they're like, the, the, each pair has something like, which this is HIV and then like, I forget the word, the one it's like loss of hope or whatever to go with HIV, like all hope's lost there. Like each one, the first word is like a condition, the next one is like something that would stem from that following a certain train of thought so it's but why call it a cybernetic uh, like, yeah, that like if it's so it's like people cybernetic like robots like androids whatever she wants to call them it's saying these these are the conclusions that you'll come to if you follow this train of thought this, that's considered the norm very interesting i think you're getting to it the whole idea and i'm going to force it a little bit because we're running out of time the whole idea is that these conclusions you are coming to because of the cybernetic nature of thought because of the automatic conditioning meaning you don't need to live like this this is the cybernetic chant down when you are conditioned when you're following the behavior that is imposed on you by the surrounding society you get into these things and that's this is the problems of life and you just list all the problems of life and she's saying this is not the problems of life that you should be experiencing there is a different way to live a life, and this cybernetic chant down is not the reality that you should be following, that you are creating that reality. That is why it's cybernetic. You are creating it. It's a manufactured thing. Something that's cybernetic is manufactured. It's a manufactured reality. So the truth is that your real life is different from that. And when the world just treats you wrong, just come with me and I'll take you home. Not take you to some other place. This is very, very much Bob Marley-ish. Your natural normal home is euphoric. Your natural normal home is a happy place. It is not a cybernetic chant down. Your natural normal home is you getting down, being funky, being yourself, being individual, and in great joy with that state of condition. By the way, this also connects if we had time to, believe it or not, Hannah Arendt's uh, great book on the human condition. But we don't have time to get into that. But when you do get that, perhaps in a political theory class, uh, remember today. Okay, I'm going to put this on pause now. If you're listening to the podcast, take a break, go to YouTube and listen to Many Moons by Janelle Monet.